team for leading us in song this morning. And thanks to you and to Eric for the invitation uh, to be with you again. When I was a full-time pastor, I noticed that there was a pattern that could happen whenever the weather people said there was going to be a snowstorm over the weekend. Some people, when they heard that report early in the week, decided right then they weren't going to be at church on Sunday morning, whether that storm ever materialized or not. Well, we had the snowstorm that wasn't yesterday, and you're still here today. And it's a holiday weekend, and your pastor isn't here. So thank you for your presence today. And I'm glad to be with you again. If you're some kind of bionic unit or a robotic machine, the text that we're going to look at today doesn't have anything to do with you. But if you're human like I am, then this is a text that has a whole lot to say to all of us. That small word only can carry a lot of weight in a sentence. When we use this word only, we may have a whole lot more in mind than what it may appear that we're saying. Here are some examples. This is the only one that I have. Which may mean something like, I really don't want to give this to you. But if I do decide to give this to you, then you're going to owe me big time. Or, I'm only one person. Which can mean something like, what do you expect out of me anyway? Why don't you just get off my case? And by the way, what are you doing yourself? Or there's, I know it costs a lot, but after all, it's only money. Which can mean something like, I know that I really shouldn't have bought that. I made a bad decision when I bought that. But you don't need to keep reminding me about it. Or only one person died in the accident. Well, that may make some people feel good, but it doesn't do anything for the grieving family of that one person who was killed in the accident. And then there's this use of the word only. I'm only human. Sometimes we may say this as an excuse for some failure. I know I really messed things up, but I'm only human. Sometimes we may say this in resignation when something seems beyond our reach. I know I didn't make my goal, but I'm only human. Sometimes we may say this as a way to justify some kind of behavior. I know it's a bad habit, but I'm only human. Sometimes we may say this to rationalize some kind of attitude that we're holding on to. I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I'm only human. 
In whatever way that we may use this phrase, and we may use it a lot, the words, I'm only human, don't usually come out sounding very positive. In the background for our scripture text today, the Christians in the Greek city of Corinth were dealing with this very same issue of being only human. The Apostle Paul had planted the church in the city of Corinth. And then Paul had moved on to some new opportunities for his missionary work. Now after Paul had left Corinth, some other preachers came to town. They had a lot of flair, they had a lot of style. But they also had another edition of the gospel. They amazed the members of the Corinthian church with their magnetic personalities, with their impressive displays of power. They looked like super apostles with superhuman abilities who produced super results. These preachers told the members of the congregation there in Corinth to look at Paul and to look at them side by side. And as these preachers saw it, as these so-called super-apostles saw it, Paul always came up lacking in this comparison. And they made fun of him. They sneered that Paul just didn't have their charisma. Paul just didn't have their kind of skills. Paul seemed so ordinary. Paul seemed so human. In fact, they said that Paul was just too human to be a real apostle. Well, Paul got word about what these counterfeit super apostles were saying, and he had his answer for them. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, to use the classic translation. Paul didn't argue with these super apostles. Paul didn't claim that he was superior to them in piety or intellect or results or anything else. Paul just simply said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul compared himself to a piece of clay pottery. Paul said he was just like a cheap clay pot. Now these clay pots are very common in the ancient world. They were fragile, so that made them easy to break. And there was always a big supply of them, and they didn't cost very much, so that made them expendable. And Paul said, I'm just like one of these cheap clay pots, like a jar of clay. In other words, Paul was saying, I'm only human. And that's exactly what these alleged super apostles, these super critics of Paul, had accused him of being. But for Paul, these words were words of affirmation. When Paul said he was like a jar of clay, he wasn't whining. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't making any excuses. These clay pots didn't have a lot of value in terms of money. 
But these clay pots could be used like safe deposit boxes to hold all kinds of things that had great value. And Paul said human life is like one of these jars of clay. Human life is like one of these clay pots. Human life becomes the container, the receptacle, the repository, the vessel for precious divine treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, Paul says. And this divine treasure is all about the gospel. Paul tells us in verse number 6 of this fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The divine treasure is the knowledge of God that fills our lives when we look to Jesus Christ in faith and he comes to live in our lives. The divine treasure is the very spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling within us. The divine treasure of the good news of Jesus Christ is embodied in our human lives. God's light, the light of Jesus Christ, shines in our hearts. And then the glory and the grace and the love of God begin to radiate out of our lives. And somebody looks at us and somebody sees how we're living and they see something of the very face of Jesus Christ in us. This is the dynamic that's at work in our human lives, Paul says. We have this treasure in earthenware vessels. We have this divine treasure in the clay pots of our human lives. Now just let that sink in for a moment. That's something incredible. God could have gotten his good news out into the world in any way that God wanted. But God chose to do his work through human lives. Lives like yours and mine. God takes human lives that are fragile and can be broken. And God does His gospel work in us and through us. God takes human lives that are not perfect and can seem to have so little promise. And God does His gospel work in us and through us. God takes human lives that are afflicted in every way and perplexed, and persecuted, and struck down, and beaten up, and dying bit by bit every day, and God does His gospel work in us and through us. God takes human lives like yours and mine, and God goes to work in our hearts, and then God works through us in the world. And this is the way that God designed for it to happen. God's surpassing power, God's all-surpassing power, God's superpower, God's resurrection power breaks into our human lives. And then our human lives take on a whole new meaning and purpose and direction and hope and peace and joy. 
and somebody else comes into contact with us. And they encounter this powerful life of God that's at work within us. And then they find out that they can experience this same kind of life for themselves. They recognize that the power they see in us can't be our own power because we're just like jars of clay. They realize that this power that they see that's at work within us has to be a power that comes from beyond ourselves. They discover that this power is really God's power. And when they open up their lives, their own lives, to God's power, when they trust their own lives to Jesus Christ, when they receive God's gift of new life, then the divine treasure of Jesus Christ fills up their lives too. God uses us with our very human lives to do His work and to get His good news out into the world. God uses people like us who are just like jars of clay to transform the lives of other people with the gospel. And all of this is the way that God has always planned to do things. God didn't just look around one day in heaven and decide that all the angels were busy and so he needed to devise a contingency plan. The Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, God designed His purpose for our lives. And when God made each one of us, God felt good about us. We read in the creation story, God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. This includes every one of our human lives. But the Bible goes on to tell us that this story of God's purpose for us took a wrong turn because we had other ideas. We didn't trust God and we settled for so much less than that human life that God made us for. But the good news is that God didn't change His mind about us. One day a man called an office to ask about scheduling a job interview. And they put him on hold. And there was one of these systems that plays music while you're waiting on the phone. The man soon realized that the song that was playing was that old Linda Ronstadt tune, You're No Good. The man figured he just needed to hang up the phone. You know, maybe other people can feel this way about us. You're no good. And maybe sometimes we can even feel this way about ourselves. But the good news is that God never thinks this about us. God was heartbroken over what we had done with our lives, but God always felt good about what God could do with us. God believed that we could be salvaged. And so God came to us in a human life in Jesus Christ to do just that. God came in Jesus Christ to redeem us and to make us new. And when we trust our lives to Jesus Christ, He fills us with new life. 
And then this new life overflows to touch somebody else. The divine treasure of Jesus Christ reaches somebody else through us. This is the way that God has arranged things. This is the purpose that God has for each one of us. This is the way that God chooses to impact the world. And I guess that maybe sometimes we might wonder, why would God ever decide to do things this way? Certainly God could have handled things much more easily and much more efficiently if he didn't depend on us so much. You know, after all, we are only human. But this attitude about being human gets it all wrong, and it always has. Throughout the history of the Christian church, there have always been people who have denied the divinity of Jesus. Some people have claimed that Jesus was just a good man who taught some new things about God. He was a great teacher. But he wasn't full of deity, they say. But it may intrigue us to know that the earliest major heresy in the church developed when some people denied the humanity of Jesus. In your Bible study, you may have run across docetism, which comes from the Greek word for to seem. Or you may have heard of Gnosticism, which comes from the Greek word for knowledge. Docetism was a belief or an idea that was held by some Gnostic teachers who claimed they had a special knowledge about the things of God. They said that Jesus only seemed to have a human body like ours. These people didn't have any issue with saying that Jesus was divine. But they just couldn't believe that Jesus could have been a real human being at the very same time. They said that God is too holy, God is too righteous to ever come into this world in a human body. There's no way that God could ever take up residence in a human life. These people got it all wrong. The Bible tells us, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. In a way that we cannot fully understand, God came to us in Jesus Christ. And Jesus was fully God and Jesus was fully human all at the same time. This is the truth that we affirm that's called the Incarnation. But the fact of the matter is that the root of this heresy hasn't gone away even 20 centuries after the Gnostic teachers in their docetism. This heresy is still around whenever we might devalue human life. This heresy is still around whenever we might think that there's not much way that God could ever use us because we're only human. 
This heresy is still around whenever we might think that somebody is worthless or somebody is beyond hope or beyond redemption. And maybe we're thinking about ourselves and maybe not just somebody else. This heresy is still around whenever we don't have God's view of human life. The God who came and lived among us in Jesus Christ is the God who always values human life. God came to us as a human being to make human life distinctive or holy. This means God came in a human life to identify human life as the most important place that God fills with His presence. God came in a human life. God came in Jesus Christ to set apart human life as that place where God does His best work. And that does include every single one of our human lives. No human life is so ordinary. No human life is so common. No human life is so broken. No human life is so mixed up. No human life is so messed up that God can't use us as God places that divine treasure of new life within us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is always at the core of the good news of Jesus Christ for us. Back in the 13th century, there was a Christian named Bernard of Clairvaux. Bernard wrote that there are four steps to a mature Christian understanding of life. He said it begins with the love of self For self's sake. This is that infant-like stage of self-interest that unfortunately some people never outgrow. We think only about ourselves. We think only about what we want to do and what we desire to have. It's all about us. We're at the center of everything and everything is to revolve around us. The love of self for self's sake. But then we can come to realize that we really can't make it in life on our own. We find out that we need resources outside of ourselves. And so there can develop the love of God for self's sake. Here we look at God as primarily the means to an end. We love God just because God can do something for us. God can give us something. We love God because we want God to give us gifts. and We want God to bless our lives with all those things that we desire. That's the motive for our love of God. The love of God for self's sake. But then if we do care about God, even on this level of the love of God for self's sake, there is the possibility that we can grow toward that next step of Christian maturity. 
And that's the love of God for God's sake. We now know that God is God, we're not. We praise God simply because God is God. God is the center of everything, and everything revolves around God. We honor God and we worship God because of who God is, and not just because God can do something for us. We love God because God alone is worthy of all the love of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. The love of God for God's sake. Now this is a mature understanding of life in God. It might even seem like the high point, the summit of Christian maturity. But Bernard of Clairvaux said there is actually a fourth and ultimate step of Christian maturity. It's the love of self for God's sake. It's the love who God has made us to be and who God has redeemed us to be for God's sake. It's to love the purpose that God has for our lives for the sake of God's kingdom and to fulfill this purpose in our living for God's sake. It's to live out that gift of new life that we have in Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel getting out into the world. The love of God for self's sake. Sometimes where we get hung up. But we need to move to the love of God for God's sake and even more perhaps we need to come to the love of ourselves as God has made us and redeemed us for God's sake. I think in a way this is what Paul was getting at when he said that we have special treasure in jars of clay. We're all earthen vessels. We're all just like clay pots. We're only human. And human is all that we're ever going to be. But that's okay. That's all right. That's even good. We can all love being human for God's sake. We can accept and even more we can affirm and we can celebrate our humanity because God uses ordinary human beings like us to do His work in the world and to point people to God. We may be only human. But God uses human people like you and me to show His love and to let the very face of Jesus Christ shine through us out into the world. There was a man named Isaac Owen who was the first Methodist missionary in California during the days of the California Gold Rush. One day, a person who was collecting information on the history of California asked Owen if he would provide an autobiographical sketch of himself for this history that was being produced. 
This is what Owen wrote. Isaac Owen was born in Vermont, raised in Courange on White River in the wilderness of Indiana. Costumed in buckskin, fed on pounded cake, educated in a log schoolhouse, the principal study in the course was Webster's spelling book. Converted to God in the woods, licensed to preach on a log, First Circuit then called Otter Creek Mission, embracing a part of five counties. Last heard of, a missionary to California. And on a review of his life, has no apologies to offer for having been born. No apologies to offer for having been born. Now that's a statement for all of us to make. We're all born human. That's just the way that God made us. We all stay human, but that's just the way that God has redeemed us. We're only human. But we have this divine treasure of God's light and God's love and God's new life in these jars of clay that we are. And God wants to use us to pass along this treasure to other people. So what's going to be our witness? Will it be like that of Isaac Owen? Last heard of, a missionary to California. And on a review of his life has no apologies to offer for having been born. Last heard of, he said. What are people able to hear that we're doing with God's gift of new life to us? And on a review of our lives, what do we see in this review? And no apologies to offer for having been born. By God's gracious power, may it always be this way for us. Amen. Would you pray? Father, we are grateful for the way that you have made us. As the psalmist says, just a little lower than the heavenly beings. And you have given us power, your power, to live and to do your work here in this world that others might encounter Jesus Christ. Father, help us to love you for who you are. And help us, yes, even to love ourselves as you have made us and redeemed us for your sake. That your witness might get into this world and people encounter that good news of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to accept that gift of ourselves that you have given to us. Life and new life in Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name and for the sake of this world who needs your love. Amen.